You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have about 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we take the five most popular stories on our website and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by sharing the podcast with people you love or leaving us a positive review or on whatever platform you might use. Apple in particular seems to be the most important there. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach out. <clears throat> you can reach any of us at David, Anna, or Jeff at IEN.com. Or if you want to reach out to us on social media where we're maybe a 1% active, you can get us at at Manny at Jeff Ranke, MFG, and at Industrial Anna. Do we have the lower third? Okay. It's in, it's right there. Anyway, Anna, how are you doing this week? I wanted to, I, had, I needed the suspense there. How are yeah. you doing, Anna? Good. I would add, too, that if you want to share the podcast with people that you love and also people that you hate, mm-hmm. that's fine, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Share episode 17 with the people that you hate because it was no good. Anyway. <laughs> Is that the one you were not on? Actually, I just randomly picked oh. a number. I just wanted to make sure I picked one lower than the one we were on. I'm like, episode 24. Yeah, get 17. Okay. Yeah. No, uh, Jeff, how are you doing today? Fantastic, David. Thanks for that stellar intro. Yeah. And you know what? Of the people on Twitter here, you are the most active. So you're at least reachable on the platform. Awesome. Yeah. I mind should be your last resort. <laughs> Very good. If it's an emergency. If it's an emergency, still. Don't tweet at me. Yeah. Mm-mm. Get Anna via Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our top story this week. Or not our top story, our first story this week. Someday, guys. You do that <laughs> at least every other yeah. time. Yeah. No, uh, all right. Our fifth story of importance this week is fire at VW plant halts production. The Volkswagen assembly plant in Chattanooga, Tennessee, experienced a fire on Tuesday. The plant, which has 3,800 employees, stopped production on the Passat sedan and the Atlas and Atlas Cross Sport SUVs. The fire appears to have started in the body shop at the plant. Six workers were treated for minor smoke inhalation, and the cause is still under investigation. The plant was scheduled to resume production on Wednesday. Jeff, could have been worse. Yeah, I mean, it did respond very quickly. There were some uh, firefighters who had some issues, some injuries there, but no cat, no fatalities. So mm-hmm. they definitely had it under control. You know, there it seems like kind of a chain of events that played into this whole thing. Um, VW is doing their own internal investigation as to the cause of the fire, but early reports coming out from the fire department seem to indicate there was an overheated conveyor belt mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. caused the fire. If you kind of follow things, when you look at the most common cause of overheated conveyor belts, it typically comes down to the bearings inside the rollers on the conveyor belt. Mm. So that would lead you to believe it's potentially a preventative maintenance type issue or a predictive maintenance type issue. It wasn't resolved. Maybe the bearings weren't serviced properly, maintained mm-hmm. properly. But we're also talking about our automotive facility behind, getting behind in terms of being a lot of demand out there for new vehicles. Folks are working hard, trying to get things done. There may have been sort of a, an influx of capacity going through these conveyors. Yeah. So you do wonder, was it all of these things kind of coming to a head We've also talked a lot about not being able to get enough employees in the manufacturing side of things. So it seems like sort of a perfect storm potentially for more of these types of incidents to occur, especially in the automotive sector where they are trying to ramp up production. They are trying to get more vehicles out on the road. So I think we do have to be more aware 
of these types of incidents potentially happening all over the place as people try to get more product out the door and, uh, and meet demand. I think it's also kind of interesting when you look at this facility was closed down for about 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, according to automation.com, automotive plants have upwards when, the, for, when it comes to downtime, it can cost them upwards of like $1.3 million an hour. And it was so, shut down for 12 hours? Roughly. They oh shut down goodness. about 9 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't come back until the next Wednesday. Wow. So if you're thinking two shifts running at that facility. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, definitely took a hit there as well. The one thing I was thinking about is how we always talk about how automation might be the answer for some of these problems. But even if you had a lights out manufacturing facility, an overheated conveyor belt is still going to be a problem that needs to be addressed. You know, that's still something that's going to happen happen regardless of human error in the plants. Don't you think, Anna? For sure. Yeah. I mean, and it that's the kind of thing that happens like everywhere. I mean, everyone's mm-hmm. got a conveyor belt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was interesting that um you know, VW Chattanooga is a really big operation, as we know. It's got 3,800 employees. It's huge, um, really top-of-the-line auto plant down there. <clears throat> um, they're so big that they have basically their own fire, like first responders. Yeah. Um, they call them VW safety forces, but the reports refer to them as being instrumental in help putting out this fire. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they use the community resources as well. But um, if you think about... Um, you know, you're talking about like this could have been worse, like this could have been worse because how many plants have their own? Yeah, don't have their own safety force. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you look at the, the, you know, the manufacturing space as a whole, how many of those companies are small businesses? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the majority, the vast majority in U.S. of manufacturers are small businesses. Um, almost none of them have this as a resource. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's really you know, it's really great that they had this at their disposal. It really did prevent a lot of catastrophe. But, you know, in some other facilities, lots of them, your safety manager is like the only person and they're like also the customer service rep or yeah. whatever, you know. So, um, you know, you think this could have been a, a worse outcome for sure. Well, and, oh, sorry. I was going to say that we've seen, we've covered other stories where these in-house safety forces, even though at large facilities, have made a tremendous impact in saving lives and the facility. I was just going to say, especially in this instance where you're looking at a body shop where you've got a lot of different paints, solvents, mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. chemicals. So there is a different way to treat them than an oil fire or whatever you want to say. Right. So, um, yeah, I would think more specialized respondents to this type of thing definitely probably help keep it under control. Well, and I don't know if it's specifically because they have their own in-house safety force, but the fire department says that they do regular walkthroughs at the building at least once a year. And they do training on site, not just on fire exercises. But I thought having a close relationship with the local emergency personnel probably could go a long way for a manufacturer, regardless of size, Mm -hmm. to be able to respond in an emergency. The other extra training exercises that they do, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, they do vehicular extraction stuff. Because VW uses a specialized boron steel that actually makes it really hard to get people out of cars. So when they were interviewing uh, some of the emergency personnel, they say, well, yeah, we go there all the time to cut people out of cars. Wait, 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 wait. What is happening where they're stuck in the car? Like they're, they're working? No. So I'm, uh, the training is that like, so people get in accidents with the cars. And so for emergency personnel, first responders to know how to get people out of cars with the jaws of life that might not necessarily work, they go and start cutting up cars at the uh, facility. Wow. Yeah. 
so kind of scary and also kind of cool. Yeah, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Just like, what are you doing today? Oh, we got the jaws of life. VW, huh? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe it's makes for quite an interesting day. Who's the, who's the worker? Well, and how do those firefighters feel then? Like, do they feel more secure? Like, do they want to buy a VW because they've seen what happens or they're like, eh. Yeah. Kind of hard to get guys out. Yeah. No, it's just VWs that are hard to get people out of. It's apparently the specific steel that they use. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun getting home. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our uh, fourth most popular story this week: six thousand false eyelashes were seized. U.S. Customs and Border Protection agents seized three thousand pairs, thus the six of <clears throat> false eyelashes in New Orleans. The four boxes of long lashes were imported from China and were destined for a local beauty supply store. The lashes weren't labeled with the distributor's name or the manufacturer's name, so there's no way of telling whether the eyelashes had been exposed to disease or Anna, whether or not they were exposed and stored to insect-infested areas. And that is the part in particular that made me have to go wash my face. Really? Like a spider could have crawled across the eyelashes and now you will not wear false eyelashes? Yeah, I had to tear mine out because I thought they'd clearly already laid (laughs) eggs in my face. A fly touched it. Yeah. Rip them off my face. Oh, yeah. Oh, just so gross. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I know that we run a lot of counterfeit stories, but this one in particular, when it comes to beauty supplies mm-hmm. or anything that's sort of health and beauty aids, those just really get to me because it's on your body. Well, and it's rampant, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, we know that personal care products um, are produced with all kinds of weird chemicals, and we don't regulate them well here. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a matter of are we importing dangerous knockoff products. It's like the U.S. almost doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, lotion, makeup, shampoo, in this case, false eyelashes. Like you, there's a lot that you kind of don't know what you're going to get with that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and it is scary because it is going on your body and it's being absorbed through your skin. Um, but the part that got my attention about this story is because I think it's more than just a, you know, potential contamination or a substance story. Um just knowing that we don't know anything about the origin because there were no labels on this package. So we know that this came from China, but we don't know where in China. And what's concerning is for years now we've been watching the, is it Weigar? Is that how you say the region? Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. yeah, so there's been a lot of forced labor allegations there and atrocities. And so the U.S. has been uh, putting down some sanctions on companies Um, And there's been dozens of major brands that have been implicated in using that region as part of their supply chain. But the big companies um, have faced some pressure from the bad publicity to kind of change their strategy there. Um, Some of these smaller companies that, you know, I don't know if you categorize them as like fly-by-nights or, you know, not no clear labeling, no clear brand. Mm -hmm. Um, That stuff still gets sold here and you have no idea where it's coming from. And could easily be coming from this region, and we don't know. And they kind of have no incentive to not try to get it into the U.S. because they don't have a brand to protect. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's important, and that's why U.S. Customs has to be very strict about this, about, like, seizing the stuff on its way. And I know somebody on the site made a comment that was like, oh, thank you for saving us from the eyelashes, (laughs) Border Patrol. Which, like, I get it. It's sort of like a, you know, it's a funny item. Like, but... uh, but you have to, you know, they have to be very strict about this stuff because you, you have no idea where it's coming from. Mm. Well, and Jeff, if you looked at the packaging, 
I mean, it was still pretty convincing. Like, it looked like legitimate false eyelashes that you would buy at your average store. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things coming out of the pandemic that's become a bigger issue for the industrial sector is supply chain visibility. Mm-hmm. And it really emanated from the fact that they needed, we needed to know where stuff was in relation to the customer and how can we get it there quicker, where's the holdup. But the other part of supply chain visibility, and we've seen this forever in pharmaceuticals and food, is also understanding where things are sourced from. And there is sort of a responsibility that we all have, even at the consumer level really now when you start looking at things, to understand where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And because there is a lot of work done by the FDA and other regulatory agencies to make all that information publicly available, when you're buying stuff as a business, you do have an obligation to understand where it's coming from. And that's where some of this comes into play, obviously, because not only could you not Nobody was claiming it, though, either. Like, it needed to go someplace. It got intercepted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if wherever it was going, we didn't talk about the, that party, but they also need to understand what was going on here. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting about this, believe it or not, I had no idea what fake eyelashes go for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But like a set is like 120 bucks. What? Whoa. So this is over half a million dollars in, in inventory that was seized. So when you make light of it, that's fine because it's eyelashes, even though the, the quote in the story that got me is there's no telling what's on these eyelashes. Yeah. Um, or what they're made There's of. a significant financial element here, too. Yeah. So it would have behooved, obviously, all involved just to be more transparent with what it was, where it came from, where it was going. When you look at the uh, the photo from uh, Border Protection, it certainly doesn't look like a half a million dollars worth of merchandise sitting right. there. Mm-mm. But when you look at it, the global false eyelashes market was valued at $1.1 billion in 2018 with steady growth predicted through 2025. Holy cow. And it is just something I don't understand, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, according to Grandview Research, a lot of this growth is a result of these like brands and false eyelashes being marketed by uh, media influencers. So YouTube and mm-hmm. Instagram celebrities that you know, do the, uh, their endorsement by trying on the product and you know, drop yeah. subtle hints as to where to get it. Yeah, that's a Kardashian thing, I think. And I don't know if you're a Nicki Minaj fan, but then you might wear false eyelashes. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe there's always, I could always try it. <laughs> we'll see. After this story, I, I will try it. Yeah, just I'll have them like scraping up against my glasses. Yeah. As long as you know where episode. they came from and what was on them. Yeah, yeah, we'll be like, David, why do you have a worm living in your eye? Right, they they have worms or that another are made one. out of cat fur. <laughs> or another what? Another one. Oh, I mean... Ooh. They should be treated in a week. All right. Third most popular story this week. Lego tells company to stop making Lego-style gun. Lego had to swat a fly last week. The Danish toy maker had to ask Utah-based gun company Culper Precision to stop making the Block 19, a pistol that looks like it's covered with or made with multicolored Lego bricks. The gun is a customized semi-automatic Glock weapon. Culper Precision says... It made the Block 19, quote, to create an opportunity to talk about the enjoyment of the shooting sports and the joy that can be found in marksmanship practice or training and training. The product page for the Block 19 was taken down. And Jeff, if you look at the photo of this thing, I'm pretty sure their intentions with this product were pretty clear. So once you get past sort of the immediate just head shaking, not understanding why these people were doing this. Mm-hmm. When I took a step back, it became very obvious to me this was a marketing campaign. Yeah, um, They put this out there knowing 
exactly what was going to happen. And they got exactly what they wanted. Yeah, Because basically when people saw it, those individuals who were never going to buy a gun were never going to be um, a customer of this of this place. Cutler, is that the name of it? Culper. Culper. They were never going to do that. But they got on their Twitter feed, they got on their social media, mm-hmm. and just raised all sorts of attention about this. Mm-hmm. Culper knew Lego was going to respond to it. But what this also gave them an opportunity to do is get on there and talk and hide behind the Second Amendment and everything else. Mm-hmm. I would have had a lot more respect for the company if they basically just said, yeah, we tried something. We mm-hmm. put out a new product. Okay, you guys don't like it. That's fine. But this also demonstrates what we are capable of doing for those who are interested in customized firearms. Mm-hmm. That's what they should have done. But again, to hide behind the Second Amendment, which is basically what they did, mm-hmm. is kind of infuriating. And yeah. it just makes people double down on what were you thinking? This is a toy. This looks like a toy. It's not. Yeah. It's clearly not. It's a firearm. It's a nine millimeter. It's the same type of you know um, munition that's used by police officers, by soldiers. It's not. But mm-hmm. you know what they they knew what they were doing. And I think it's important. <laughs> I've never actually read the Bill of Rights. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. But the Second Amendment. Just listen to this. A well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to bear and keep arms shall not be infringed. That's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. okay? That you don't you don't think Lego gun? No. 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 <laughs> and I, I'm an advocate. I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe we should have the right to bear arms. I do. Yeah. I I think when they're done the right way, I've had good experiences with my kids in terms of firearms and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You can use them safely and smartly, but you also don't need to promote in this manner. Yeah. This was the wrong approach. Yeah. I mean, you can you can promote Anna, but uh, you don't want it to look like a toy. No, that was I mean, as a parent of young kids, that was what really was infuriating to me. Is like how much this looks immediate anger. Right? Yeah, it just like yeah. wells up inside you just looking at the photo. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just because you see it, like that's what bothered me. You see the photo, and the first thing that I went to was I saw my kid picking it up mm-hmm. because, and I know that you know whatever the scenario or whatever, but it, that that was the one thing that I found like that bothered me the most is that even like toy guns that look real, I get that. Like, uh, but this was just, I don't know. It really bothered me. Yeah. And I have to disagree, Jeff, that when you say that they knew what they were doing, I, uh, I do agree with you that it probably was a marketing scheme. I don't think it was very smart. Um, first of all, because if this were to get into the hands of a kid and there was a liability issue, Mm -hmm. that's pretty hard to defend. Um, and then secondly, I think it's kind of dumb to mess with Lego. I mean, Lego has a lot of um, money Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of really expensive lawyers. They have a track record of going after people who violate their copyright and winning. Um, They last year uh, took out some imitators in China, which is pretty hard to do. Yeah. Like um, they they ruled in Lego's favor and said that this these companies not only did they have to cease like distribution of their products, they had to pay Lego millions of dollars and they were ordered to make a public apology on their websites, right. um, you know, for the infringement. I just think that like, I don't know, just because Lego said, like Lego said, stop making this gun and they did, mm-hmm. that doesn't stop Lego from now still filing a lawsuit against them. They still could do that. That, you know, cease and desist doesn't have to be the be all end all here. Mm-hmm. Well, so if it, they ask them to write an apology, on their website, and what's on their website right now is that apology. They missed the mark. That is not an apology. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think that it was a very risky marketing scheme 
to to go after a company with as much power and money as Lego. Well, and it's another thing that you could make you could make a Lego gun that is kind of Lego themed but doesn't look like Legos and what I think is actually going to get them in the most trouble is they made it so the Legos you could actually build on it with Legos. And that uh, that Lego clutch, I know that we talked about it the other week about the new Lego prototypes. Like that is a hardcore piece of their IP that they hang on mm-hmm. to, and that could be like the nail in the uh, the coffin in terms of whether or not it comes to a lawsuit. I mean, the one thing when they talked about the Block 19 being a childhood dream coming to life, that's the one thing I least understood because as yeah. a child with two brothers, we had the bucket of Legos, and all we did was make guns. You know. <laughs> But it's like, but it it's okay to stop there. <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. have to like, Yeah, we didn't sit there, you know, shooting at each other, like across the farm. Figuring thinking, out how there could be some sort of projectile coming out of that gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Other individual. Like a simple pew pew is pretty good. Right. You know, uh, the other thing was that I, I uh, when the company in a statement said, the Block 19 wants to show new firearm owners that guns are not just for law enforcement and current or former military or the types that are prone to overt bravado that is so often portrayed on social media, guns are for everyone. And we want to be the first to welcome new firearms owners from any personality type or political affiliation. If you own a firearm, you are our friend. And if that's what they were trying to say with this, they failed. Well, they weren't. And again, I go back to, and Anna and I are in different places with this, because what this shows is if you are a if you're somebody who's into custom firearms yeah. and you see this you're thinking all right so they can't do this anymore but what could they do true what what could i send them there's like nothing they could man if they can do this with legos imagine what they could do with x material or x design or whatever i think and the other thing is you worry about the legal side of it if this actually went to a higher court a higher level mm-hmm. again culper is going to have everybody who is extremely passionate about firearms on their side the NRA, everybody else who wants to hide behind the Second Amendment, which, again, I hate that it's even potentially applicable here because it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But, again, I I think they got exactly what they wanted. And I, I get your point about Lego coming after them, but that would almost feed the fire that mm-hmm. they were looking to, to oh, start I, here. I, yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it's publicity. I just don't think – I think that it could go horribly wrong for them. I mean, it could yeah. shut their company down. It was a very risky move, in my opinion. Yeah. It did both because, to your point, Jeff, when I as soon as I saw it, I went to the uh, to their website and scrolled through their previous work to see what else they did. And I'll admit, every once in a while, I was like, "Okay, that one's a pretty cool gun." But uh, yeah, completely off base on this one. Yeah. All right. Next, our next story this week: <clears throat> manufacturer took federal COVID relief, then moved to Mexico. Railroad car manufacturer Freight Car America makes or received $10 million in PPP loans only to shut down the U.S. factory a few months later, cutting more than 500 jobs. Company executives said they didn't intend to close the Northwest Alabama factory when they applied for the loan. They argued that the money kept workers on the job amid a drop in orders. Some workers say the loan merely kept the lights on while the company prepared to shift all production to Mexico. Jeff, do you think that's the case? They just paid people a little bit while they planned for the move? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's hard It's hard not to get that impression from this. I think the one thing that you can take away, and I know Anna's going to talk a little bit about this, is, man, there needed to be a little more work done on the PPP side of things. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, 
if they did have the foresight to at least attempt to take care of these workers for eight more weeks, whatever it was, that's not a horrible thing. I understand these funds were not intended just to basically be a form of uh, corporate welfare almost, yeah. you know? Yeah, free uh, money. Yeah, that's that's not the intent. I get that. Um, it is unfortunate that there would have to be the manufacturer in this case was not more transparent and more just straightforward about things with their workforce. That's what's I think most mm-hmm. unfortunate here is I think when they saw this money coming in, it probably sort of rejuvenated their hopes long-term of the facility. And then two months later, lights are out and everybody's going home. So mm-hmm. um, sad maneuver, but also this is an industry that's been struggling. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it's, this was the last of four plants. If I, if I read it correctly. And I mean, after you lose three out of four and the other one's already flirting with it, you can't imagine that a $10 million infusion is going to save the operation. Right, Anna? I know. And I, but I do think, you know, I think you're probably right that, that maybe they had hope or, you know, there's probably a lot more of these stories too about companies that were like already faltering and kind of on their last legs, but they're like, well, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. We have the opportunity and maybe they'll turn us down. And it sounds like they didn't, Really turn anybody down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. We've we've run several stories about like fraudsters who have taken the money and run, and either like like invented fictitious companies. That's happened yeah. a few oh, times. Yeah. People buying cars with their money, like kind of some crazy stuff. Um, but what you hear of far far less is um, about the critical lifeline that this program did provide for a lot of businesses, many of whom were able to keep their doors open during the pandemic and keep people employed. Um, and I think about some of the problems we're seeing right now in like service industry and retail and hospitality where like they just cannot get enough workers to even manage the existing demand that they have. And I think a lot of that is due to they shut down their employees, like moved on to something else or they left town or whatever, and they have new jobs now. It's really hard to get those people back. Right, right. So um, like the idea behind it was good. I think the PPP helped in a really widespread way um, that maybe, you know, we focus on these few outliers that, you know, or like the the fraud that happened, which happens yeah. with any government program yeah. anytime there's money, right? But um, I read a quote uh, by one, like, ec- economic expert who at the time the program was had just wrapped the first one, mm-hmm. um, said that the net effect was that it, quote, helped literally – millions of small businesses survive. And if that's true, then I guess, you know, we got to deal with a couple of people running to Mexico with their pockets full of money or probably not even in this case. If they they were (laughs) altruistic in their, their motives here, I mean, that's 2,500 bucks a week per employee. Yeah. That's, that's not insignificant. You would hope that is what they did. I don't Mm -hmm. know exactly what type of oversight there is in terms of where the money goes. It doesn't sound like a ton once it actually gets to the company. I'd be kind of curious, though, too, you know, talking about a lot of this PPP stuff, and we've talked about folks not being able to find workers to to fill in. Are you hearing it more that it is situations like what Anna just brought up about people have just simply moved on? They have a new job. They just can't come back or they're not going to come back because mm-hmm. they found a better paying position. Mm-hmm. Or is it some of too much COVID relief almost where it's almost they're encouraged to just continue to collect some of those benefits as opposed to go back to work? I've heard both. Yeah. I've heard both, and I know I have personal relationships with both where, you know, uh, people, particularly in the manufacturing industry, it's a hot market if you are willing to get out there and see what other jobs are available. Yeah. Uh, so it was a good opportunity to move up. And, uh, you know, when 
shops slow down, people get worried. And no matter, even if the money is coming in from PPP, when there's no work coming in, you want to go to a place where work is coming in. On the other hand, I have seen people personally that are just like, I don't really have a lot of incentive to go back to work right now because I'm doing okay. I mean, one person literally, uh, their employer said, we're going to lay you off, but you'll likely make more money while we lay you off. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a give and take there. Yeah. And uh, it's very frustrating. It's just, it's interesting because anecdotally, I hear more about what you just described. Yeah. You know, whether it's construction, manufacturing, people trying to fill these jobs. And just because even though if the, the position is paying a little bit more, still got to get up and go to work and yeah. you're still being paid to stay at home. So it'll be interesting to see how things transition a little bit once those benefits start getting cut off and don't have a choice. Yeah. I was actually, uh, I was just interested with how the allure of free money always brings out, you know, all the bad actors out of the woodwork. And, you know, it makes you wonder how many people got away with it. And yeah. I mean, I will say, uh, I will say that there was some oversight. So, you know, some of this money did have to go to, you know, utilities, it had to go to rent. And there was some oversight as to making sure that um, things with the structure, like the building, those were paid as well. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it would like to be that the employees just, you know, cut up to 10 million and <laughs> had an eight week, you know, it's uh, a super right. big yeah. party. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, it's also interesting to notice that, uh, you know, the company met all the qualifications for the loan to be forgiven. You know, it just had an eight week spending requirement. Mm-hmm. And, the program was changed to even ease those restrictions. So meaning that it wasn't all that hard to lay off half of your company and still get the free money mm-hmm, yeah. loan forgiven. So, all right. Our top story this week, real barn burner. Mysterious bowling balls discovered under a home's foundation. Mysterious bowling Mysterious. balls has never been said before. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe on a hot cosmic bowling night. On July 1st, David Olson started a little demolition on the back steps of his house. He wanted to build a new deck. The project took a turn when Olson found 158 bowling balls buried beneath the foundation. The balls were traced back to the 1950s. See, up until 2006, Brunswick Bowling Products manufactured balls, pins, and other bowling equipment in Muskegon, Michigan, which is a little more than five miles away from this guy's house. Former Brunswick employees reached out to Olson and said that workers would take scrap bowling balls all the time and use them (laughs) as cheap fill. The old Brunswick plant was finally demolished back in 2013. And this week, the 33-year-old Olson started a GoFundMe campaign to raise $15,000 to help pay for the replacement of the patio and build a new deck. But he also wants to expand the investigation to see how many balls are still under his house. And Jeff, I just wanted to know if you saw thirty-three-year-old guy wants fifteen grand to make a new deck, and you just like whispered "millennial" under your breath. <laughs> I mean, the man in his hearse suit, half naked, lying on the balls. Yeah. <laughs> the the face. I did get on the Facebook page, and yeah. there does need to be somebody helping him with photography here, because yeah. Come on. Um, that Facebook that, group is a fun time. The whole GoFundMe thing aside, yeah, yeah, this is crazy. And did you see? Like they were doing some more stuff. They're trying to like get underneath the patio, and they found broken light bulbs. No, that they must have also been used, kind of in the same manner, like fluorescent bulbs. Like just um, yeah, just light bulbs. Okay, just now we're talking up. legitimate toxic stuff. Well, like weird though. I mean, at what point? What was the approach? Like, eh, we can't find dirt. <laughs> like, 
Let's mm-hmm. just start oh, throwing so whatever we find in here. A bowling ball makes sense to me because it's like yeah. if you've ever put up a fence or a retaining wall and you got to fill it with boulders before you lay the foundation. I mean, I was just like, this is the first thing I thought, like, oh, that's great fill. Probably cheap, too. But light bulbs. Well, like, and who, I mean, you know, who yeah. knows? I mean, there hasn't been an as in-depth investigation onto the light bulbs yeah. as there was the bowling balls. But super yeah. safe light bulbs from the 50s. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing is, though, and I don't know, they, they degrade very slowly mm-hmm. based on what they're made of. But these are plastics. These yeah. bowling balls are plastic. So if they've been under in the ground for... 50 years or more, 70 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not great. Well, he did. So the whole reason this kind of blew up was part of it was he wanted to reach out to Brunswick to make sure the bowling balls weren't toxic for some reason. Right. Because of the kids. I mean, I'm sure he's sending out emails because of the light bulbs now. But uh, Anna, what did you think of this story? I mean, I enjoyed it for being a fantastically weird story, of course. <laughs> My favorite part actually was when he um, they said that he gave a bowling balls to a church so they could shoot him out of a cannon yeah which is what is this church doing with a cannon um is Where this were they safe? coming down i don't know like on the other church do you, need to be, do you need to be licensed <laughs> to shoot a bowling ball or any projectile for that matter out of a cannon where are these i don't cannons know coming from? what are uh, do the pumpkin chunker chuckers need to be uh, i licensed? don't know i yeah. mean I will say for the reader who reached out to ask if we could get footage from the church when they start, mm-hmm. you know, blowing off the cannon, uh, we have an email out. Oh, so okay. We'll see if we can get the footage. <laughs> of course we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoyed the GoFundMe too, only for its absurdity. Like, so he lowered his threshold to five thousand. Now oh, he's okay. made two hundred. Oh, he's wow. made two hundred fifty-five mm-hmm. because no one is buying this. Um, but he said he wants to document the whole thing, and that's why he wants the money so he can like pull up the rest of his patio and keep digging for bowling balls, which I don't know about you guys, but like watching someone dig up a hundred million bowling balls sounds like the most excruciatingly tedious thing that you could possibly, I like don't document it. I, no one wants yeah, you to uh, document what's, it. What's, what's this going to really, no. what's the big reveal? If you here? think about another it, bowling <laughs> ball, <laughs> no, you could easily do a documentary about the bowling manufacturing's tie to the community as this man searches for more balls, and then he somehow finds out he's related to like Johnny Brunswick that started the company. Right, right. I just fell asleep while you were describing that. Well, it's so... not for everyone, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if they were pins, this would be your thing. No, pins are made out of wood, though, so there's no problem. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I'm, I'm a pins guy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, it made me think about other stories about scrap, and I wanted to ask any readers or viewers or listeners. To like send in their stories about weird scrap because I know every factory does this. I know that the factories I've worked at have done this where they would put out scrap pieces and people would use them at their leisure. Like uh, mm-hmm. we used to make uh, silicon um, cups that were used on putting greens. And whenever those scrap came out, I didn't even know that uh, they, that's what they were for. I thought they were used for utensils that were put on top of like you put on top of your oven, stuff like that. Yeah. I still use it to this day. And uh, we used to use other things like old spatulas and potholders that wound up being used in arts and crafts projects at uh, local daycares. I mean, there were scrap items of other things that we manufactured. Well, let's not get into that. That's not for today. (laughs) I just want to know, have you guys heard of any other scrap being used for, you know, purposes outside their original manufactured use? Boy. The the manufacturing plants I worked at, I hope they weren't bearing any of that stuff because it was pretty much just focused for like the tank, the semi-tank that it was going on. Oh, okay. Um, 
So if they were burying that, it was not for, uh, you know. Yeah. It was for good more. reasons. Gotcha. Gotcha. Annie, or Annie, Anna. It's not oh. it. It's not Annie. <laughs> is that is that one of those like uh, someone tried it once and you're just like, no. Nope. Yeah. it's We're just going to stick with Anna. <laughs> uh, have you ever, you know, any stories from when you've traveled in the industry? Anything like that? Not not so much about scrap, but I do enjoy a good abandoned factory story. Oh, yeah. And we ran one like, uh, I don't know, six, eight months ago about a warehouse um, that somebody had bought to like, I don't know, use for something else, probably like luxury lofts or something. Mm-hmm. They went in there and it had been a, a holiday decorations manufacturer's warehouse. Oh, yeah. And it was just jam packed full of Christmas trees and yeah. lights and things. Like, So they did this like kind of liquidation sell off of everything in the community, but just that kind of stuff is just like, yeah, I like, mm-hmm. or like a, a good abandoned motel where you can just go and like see people's empty beds and then not sleep for three days. <laughs> I like the story about the old uh, ornament manufacturer because those old ornaments were so creepy. Looking. I know. And just, uh, you know, like still fresh out of the case. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I don't know. I, I really enjoy those stories where you find the uh, cases of things that were, you know, someone took home from the warehouse when I went under and it's just like, oh, yeah, no, I actually have a box of like, you know, uh, battle toad action figures. I just I just kept it. I never really had a use for it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, I mean, those are I fear I follow some weird Instagram feeds. All right. Let's move on to in case you missed it. The stories this week that could make a big impact on the uh, industry, but maybe weren't so popular. Uh, Jeff, what's your in case you missed it this week? So the story in and of itself probably, you know, not a huge deal. I understand why it was kind of uh, maybe not as popular because we have been covering the fact that there was a uh, a strike at a Volvo truck plant in Norfolk, Virginia, and they settled the strike. So the workers are going back. But what got me is how close the vote was. Mm-hmm. So the hourly workers voted 1,147 to 1,130. Whoa. So 17 votes. Yeah. I mean, and we, we've talked about this before in a lot of these strikes, and they mentioned in the article as well, Labor has an upper hand right now, especially with anything automotive. Mm-hmm. And these are these are not um, passenger vehicles or they're bigger trucks and stuff. But still, for it to be that close, and basically this was the third offer that came from Volvo. They said, this is it. This is what we're going to do. So the workers did go for it. But it does sort of reinforce the fact that they had a lot more clout here. They yeah. were able to get some increases in terms of um, entry-level pay, uh, where it capped at the end of the six-year contract, things like that. So... It's interesting. I think they also made some gains as well uh, in terms of the way the shifts were set up. So the number of hours and what, how many worker, how many hours are demanded in a mm-hmm. given amount of time. Um, so you, Volvo had to make some concessions here at a time again where they're kind of under the gun as well. They yeah. needed these folks back in work. Uh, we've got all sorts of supply chain challenges right now. These big trucks obviously play a big part in in meeting a lot of logistical demands. So I thought it was just interesting from that perspective how close the vote was and how it all ties into a lot of these critical issues that we're talking about right now. Every vote counts. Yeah. I mean, it, it is surprising that with workers having such an upper hand, Anna, that like it came down to 17. Yeah, I kind of, I, I had read up on this the last time they restarted the strike and some of the coverage made it sound as if, the, so initially like, Volvo had um, tendered this offer and then uh, the union, I think, had like tentatively accepted it. And then all of a sudden they said, no, 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 we're going to strike. So I think some of the union members were feeling a little bit confused and maybe concerned. So I wonder if maybe as people are getting used to the leverage, Mm. maybe seeing like 
what their comfort level is <laughs> and yeah. how much they're willing to support, like how far the union's going to go. Because yeah. people might have just got spooked by how long it was going on and maybe concerned that they just wanted it to be over with. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and Volvo's an international company. They, mm-hmm. they can shift it someplace else if they had to. So, yeah. mm-hmm. the harsh reality from Jeff. <laughs> you, was that too? Was that too much? No, it was too just much like, reality for yeah, your, take your millennial it feelings. We're bailing, David. Oh. It's okay. It'll Are be you okay? okay. I'll Are have okay? a good cry. Hey, after you're this. doing a great job. Thanks, man. Hey, keep yeah. it up. All Proud right. of you, buddy. If I had more cord, I'd hug you. Okay. All right, I'm gonna go to mine in case you missed it. Musk defends Solar City, and Musk again clashes with the opposing lawyer. This one's a lot of fun. Tesla founder Elon Musk was in court last week. He had to testify and defend his company's 2016 acquisition of Solar City, a failed solar panel manufacturer. A, lo- <clears throat> a lawsuit says he's to blame for a bad deal that was never delivered, and it doesn't help that Solar City was founded by Musk and his two cousins, Lyndon <laughs> and Pete Rive, because that's important. Now, controversy aside, let's just say that. Musk wasn't afraid to be himself in court. When the opposing lawyer asked Musk asked Musk to acknowledge his mistakes, Musk said, "I think you're being a bad human being." <laughs> he subtle. said, "Yeah, real subtle." He said, "I have great respect for the court, but not for you, sir. Just got him again." Mm. Straight out of like parliamentary Great Britain. Yeah, it's not like, you, sir. Yeah, once again, those poor lawyers take a shot. The lawyer tried to paint Musk as a tyrant and noted how the CEO once declared himself techno king of Tesla and gave his CFO the title Master of Coin, which is a Game of Thrones reference. Musk just said, I don't want to be the boss of anything. I prefer to spend my time on design and engineering. Musk just said, I think I'm funny. And Jeff, I think he's funny too. I would love to watch this. This had to be hilarious. Like there, I mean, there's some like serious people in this room, yeah. And they're just watching these two, basically, just like twelve year olds on a playground, just oh, yeah. taking shots at each other. Yeah, they will broadcast any small crime on like yeah. channel four hundred and sixty seven. I will watch this on oh, ABC. This had to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and what's interesting is so this is the this lawsuit came against Tesla's board, mm-hmm. right? right? And everybody on the board is just like. Let's make this go away. Yeah, settle. Not Elon Musk. No. no. He's like, no, 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 no. I want my day in court. You almost wonder if it was just like, I got the money. I don't care. I just want to go after this guy. Because oh, yeah. this is, I think they've had, he had a they have a history, right? Yeah. So I think he, um, he he's using his money wisely. This was his sort of his plan just to get on the record against this guy a little bit. Well, and he, I mean, if you saw the photos going into court and coming out of court, the smile got bigger when he was coming out of court. <laughs> And Anna, the other thing I thought about was that when he said, I prefer to spend my time design and engineering, with our experience with design engineers, Musk comes off as just a real engineering type where he's mm-hmm. like, no, I know I'm right. Right. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. And this is the path forward. Yeah. It was just, I don't know. Uh, and do you think Musk is funny? <laughs> <laughs> Not always. Mm-mm. No? No. No. But I mean, in this case, I sort of do like... The um, it's not like he bought like a giant chest full of comic books with Tesla's money. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it was a legitimate technology that had like a legitimate foundation and inf- infrastructure to it. Like 
I don't know. I mean, like, it's not just like a slam dunk to say that, like, this was, you know, because his cousins operated the business and it was a bad. I know that, like, certain acquisitions when you're a CEO, like, they just don't pan out. Yeah. That's not necessarily the case here that that he, like, did anything wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I don't think that it's easily proven that he did um, he did something wrong. So no, and, and he's pushing like they're pushing him to admit that he did something wrong. Yeah, and he said they, he said I pushed for twenty six fifty a share. They went with twenty four fifty. That is proof they don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. It's, uh, and so last August, yeah, the board paid sixty million dollars, and all they had to do was, and they didn't have to admit any fault. If Musk has to personally pay for the entire Solar City deal. It would only cost him $2.5 billion, and he's worth about $163 billion. So, I mean, still, I mean, still going to lose a lot of ink on the check. <laughs> He'll roll the dice. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I guess I don't think it's going to work out too bad. He'll be okay. He'll land on his feet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anna, what is your in case you missed it this week? Um, so I chose a story that will not have an impact on the industry, and that's why I chose it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, President Biden's administration is reversing a Trump-era rule approved after the former president complained he wasn't getting wet enough because of limits on water flow from showerheads. Yes. So at the time, he, um, I think, created a rule that means you could get more water. Mm-hmm. Uh so now the energy department is going back to a standard that was adopted in 2013, saying it provides plenty of water for a good soak. You can get clean. <laughs> yep. Um, but uh, the, what was funny about the article is it says the rule change will have little practical effect since nearly all commercially made showerheads comply with the 2013 rule. Um, so I just... I wanted to use it as my in case you missed it because we all missed it. And <laughs> <laughs> even, the, man- yeah, yeah, even yeah. the manufacturers of showerheads yeah. missed it yeah. because they didn't change anything that they were doing. So it just like just what a colossal waste of time by um, politicians trying to. Because uh, he was this deregulating. What, this is what was important. Yeah. We had to get after this. Just such a non issue. So anyway, that's been changed yeah. FYI for everyone who's been like waiting for this to happen. Man, there has to be one boutique. Showerhead manufacturer who pivoted. Yeah, and he's just going nuts. It's like in um, uh, Superman three when that um, seller of the Leaning Tower of Pisa statues, um, after Superman makes it straight, mm-hmm. and then he changes all of the statues, and then Superman comes back through, leans it over again, and then he throws the statues on the gun. This is there's somebody doing that with their. It shower is heads. exactly like that. Someone somewhere <laughs> exactly is throwing away like their Trump showerheads because and you know is, they're rounded. How many times has Anna referenced the Superman movies? Uh, at least. Too many. This too is impressive. No. Oh, absolutely no. not. I disagree. This I is have an impressive. Ex- I have an extensive knowledge of the trilogy, the yeah. original. <laughs> that oh, was- you, you stop at three, though. I stop mm-hmm. at three, of course. It's, it's yeah. over by mm-hmm. now. I haven't seen any of the new ones. No, I actually, uh, I got that wrong last time you brought it up because they made a Superman 4, right? Yeah. With Christopher Reeve. And that's the historically bad one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The quest for peace. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it was bad. Okay, then I don't know that one. Well, I just thought you were being really hardcore, like, no, it stopped at three. I mean, Richard, don't recognize Richard Pryor put like an exclamation point on that for me, for sure. Okay. Well, luckily, I haven't replaced my showerhead since I bought the house. So I think I'm fine. (laughs) Um, Let's move on to our final thoughts this week. Jeff, what is your final thought for us? My final thought is I'm excited looking ahead to this next week Mm -hmm. because we are going to be celebrating a world championship 
for the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm making <sighs> the prediction. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even matter what happens in game five mm-hmm. because they've shown they can win game seven on the road. So they are. Uh, we're going to be celebrating the Milwaukee Bucks cutting down the nets. Great. I will be celebrating it the same way I have celebrated every one of their wins this season <laughs> by hearing it secondhand in the office. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Uh, go Bucks. <laughs> Hashtag fear the deer. Anna. Here in Wisconsin, we're making some puppy chow. We're going to watch the game. <laughs> Let's go viral being the most drunk on local news. <laughs> uh, Anna, your final thought for us this week. Um, my final thought is we should eat tacos before every podcast because I feel like everyone's feeling pretty pepped up today. Yeah, we're a little fired up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm, because we have still a truckload of tacos yeah, in the kitchen. It was because of the three kinds of salsa. Mm-hmm. We had to celebrate our first week back together in the office mm-hmm. with tacos. Which is what one does. Yeah, We celebrated with tacos, but half the office refused to start eating until the nachos got here. <laughs> What taco delivery man forgets the three-gallon bag of nachos? I would try. If I were him, I would forget it every time and see how many calls I get. Oh, I understand. I forgot it at home. Well, my final thought is that we have coming out the first taste test that we've done in nearly 10 years. And the first product we did the taste test with was Kraft macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream. And it was dreadful. David, spoiler alert. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. It was, we'll find out later. Stay tuned as to whether or not it was good and the results of my upper lips still twitching. It was, uh, you didn't have to wait long for response. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was a consensus. And you kind of, when we do the, what I like about the taste tests is it tells you more about your coworkers because everyone kind of is just like, hmm, maybe not for me. And then there's the two people that are like, yep, need more of that. Yeah, the people that are like, oh, I'm not sure about this, but then they're still, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, mm. you're on your third bite, Mike. You're on your third bite. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing was that with these taste tests, they're not all bad. Uh, I recently received some samples of Sadler smoked meats, and those are delectable. And what I got coming next is bacon sausage. So it's sausage sliced like bacon, and I'm excited. That's awesome, man. Happy yeah. for you. Thanks, man. I'm happy too. All right. Well, the vegetarian over there is really excited. Well, they did. I mean, if they had, I was looking to see if they had a vegetarian option because I thought that would be cool to bring. Yeah. Can you cook uh, it in the office so we can get the smell of bacon just wafting through? It's the smell of sausage. I can handle it. All right. Fantastic. But yeah. Oh, if they make bacon shaped sausage, do they make sausage shaped shaped bacon? I got to I got to follow up with the company. Hmm. All right. Well, let's get out of here for this week. It was a good time. And you're right. The tacos did make a difference. Mm -hmm, They did. Feel a little pepped up. It's All the right. taco difference. Yep. <laughs> TM. <laughs> All right. We're going to get out of here. But before we do, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. And to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Also, you can make sure to subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. We'll make sure that you get the podcast in your inbox first. Also, check out that lower third. These are our Twitter handles that pretty much none of us use. But occasionally, if you want to get us wow. once a week. You are a great pitch, man. Oh, sorry. At D. James Manny, at Jeff Rinky MFG, and at Industrial Anna. We're always on there. Always. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm David Manty. For Jeff and Anna, this is Today in Manufacturing. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. <laughs>